Writer Media Group original. You're listening to Your Day Brighter, the podcast. Real reasons to have hope in this world. Hi, I'm your host, Tracy Tiernan. Before I jump into the podcast, I've got to thank our sponsors, J29 Solutions. J29, they are innovators with the right solutions for your business and a company that is committed to giving back to the community. And we are so proud to have their partnership. To connect with them, go to j29inc.com. So what is the solution to the problem of racism in our country and in our world? What do you think? What's the answer? I'm excited to share this conversation with you because I am speaking to my friend, Maria Garriott. She is an author. She is a minister. She is a practitioner of multi-ethnic ministry for close to 40 years. She's a a teacher. She's a coach. She's a network leader. She's a church planter. Uh, Maria has a passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where her loyalty is. And that is really where she believes the solution lies. It's in the gospel. The the answer to the problem of racism in our country and in our world, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maria's got a new book out called Stronger Together, A Gospel Lens on Unity. And it is, it is both um, a book about uh, Bible study, really, like really digging into the gospel to see how it applies to the issue of race. It's Maria's personal stories and anecdotes. And it's also a lens on the history of our country. She's done a lot of research. This book, I'm I'm telling you, I want everybody to study this book and to do uh, Bible studies in a group with this book because I just think it's going to be, it's so practical and so eye-opening and so helpful. Maria, my friend, Maria Garriott, I, I got to ask you this. What is a lovely, um, may I say, middle-aged, uh, <laughs> Caucasian, lovely Caucasian woman uh, doing in urban ministry, committed to it, devoted to it, uh, teaching about diversity and multi-ethnic church? How did you get involved in this? I know that Jesus has grabbed a hold of your heart a long time ago. Um, when it yes. comes to diversity. Can you tell me a little bit of your story? Yes, and I will say that in the, you know, the several years it took to uh, to write the book, that I did have all those doubts about, uh, I'm a middle-aged white lady, what do I have to say? But um, you just have to quiet those voices and say, I think Jesus has called me to this, so I'm going to press on. Yes. Um, but in uh, 1981, my husband Craig and I uh, started an intentionally multi-ethnic church in Baltimore, And we moved into uh, Baltimore City, into a minority neighborhood uh, that was more of a working-class, low-income neighborhood, really had a lot of the struggles that Baltimore has experienced, um, you know, uh, over the years. And so we served that church for 38 years and just um, um, resigned uh, three years ago to start a regional ministry to raise Christ-centered cross-cultural leaders um, for church planning and renewal. So... Um, you know, we've jumped into urban ministry with no uh, training or experience. Craig had uh, a couple years of seminary under his belt, um, and so we kind of learned on the way. He went back and got a doctorate. I got my MOM. Um, but uh, we, you know, we learned so much over the years, and 
over time, it's so clear that our world is so diverse. God's plan um, is to unite people from all tribes, nations, and tongues, and it is such a blessing when we see that. Mm. Um, and and right now, we're living in a time where all the nations have come to the U.S., and we have got to show the love of Jesus across lines of difference, whether it's race or class or ethnicity or background. And the gospel gives us the tools for this. So, you know, in a world that is so full of division and um, people separating themselves from, from one another, the Bible has the tools that we need for unity. You know, the Bible tells me that I'm a sinner. The gospel tells me that I'm a sinner, and yet I am beloved by God, right? Mm. It tells me that, that I'm a sinner, that I'm more sinful than I can really even understand. So, Tracy, if you were to come to me and say, um, Maria, you really hurt my feelings when you said such and such, um, I would have to realize, oh, well, thank you, Tracy, for showing me some other aspect of my sin that I was unaware of before, mm-hmm, right? I right. shouldn't be shocked. I shouldn't be shocked um, or defensive. So really, as mm-hmm. we and as we cross cultures um, and race and class and lines of difference, um, you know, we become more aware of where we have been blinded to the beauty of the gospel by our own sin or our own, or our own cultural context. So mm. uh, the Bible tells me I'm more sinful than I can know, but because of Jesus and his death on the cross, I am more beloved than I can really understand. So that gives me the freedom to uh, see my sins and repent from them and then move forward in grace in the, in the gospel um, mm. and, and, you know, love my brothers and sisters um, you know, more in that gospel, in that gospel foundation that we have. You talk about um, that freedom in your book about the gospel freeing you up to participate yeah. in racial reconciliation. And you even, you even tell some stories in here, Maria, like, er, you know, early on, um, you, here you are in your young 20s, yeah. you know, <laughs> you're in your young 20s and you and your husband are just, you're, you're, you're in the deep end. You're like ready to deep go <laughs> and you're, right. and you're learning and, and you discovered some blind spots, even cross-culturally, those things that we say that we didn't mean mean oh, to offend. Totally. Can, totally. can you tell us one of those stories? Because I just love how, you know, God is so gracious with your new friends that they were able to point things out and you were able to receive and not let shame keep you from staying in the process, right? Yes, yes. And... Um, I would say that over the years, uh, as I've grown deeper in the gospel with a deeper understanding of it, um, uh, it helps me to move out of that shame sooner. Mm. Um, so yeah. one of the stories I tell is very early on, just you know, a year, a year or two into the ministry, and I said something stupid in a Thanksgiving gathering um, about Native Americans that um, was... Um, it was really insensitive, and it wasn't even historically accurate, um, even to what I knew at that point in time, which I've learned a lot more since then, but it was just a stupid thing to say. And a dear, sweet man in our church uh, called me up later and um, said, you know, I was, um, he worded it so gently, but basically he was offended by what I said, mm-hmm. and uh, and I affirmed that he was right, that I should not have said that, that that was it was insensitive, um, and so I apologized to him, 
And I did thank him uh, probably for, for bringing it to my attention. But I also, after I hung up, I really struggled with, oh, how could I be so stupid? Right. And, and some self-justification, you know, I work so hard for the church and blah, 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 you know. Um, and, um, but I knew he was right, and I grew from the experience, and he had the grace and the humility to speak to me privately about something I had even said in front of our little gathering. Mm. Um, and then fast forward, um, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years later, and um, another friend in a one-on-one conversation with him, um, I asked him, you know, he's from another country, now that you've finished your, um, your doctorate, are you going to stay here? And um, I was just kind of curious, you know, what his plans were. And he'd been a wonderful member and, you know, um, serving the church. And um, so I was just more curious and wondering what his plans were. Um, And so he kind of answered it, but then later he came back to me and said, you know, I know you didn't mean to offend, but um, when you said that, I heard he heard echoes of other remarks that he had heard where people basically had said, are you going to stay here and take American jobs, or are you going to go back to your own country? Wow. And, and some of the anti-Asian you know, sentiment that he had experienced mm. um, over the years. And so I appreciated him sensitizing me to that, and that was something I wouldn't have realized um, unless he had told me about it. Um, so, you know, we're all just growing and learning. Um, I say and do stupid things all the time. I'm just a little less shocked and, um, you know, devastated than I was at 20. So that's one of the benefits of getting older, right? (laughs) You know, it really is. And I think you're making, I think this is a really important point. That's why I'm kind of double clicking on this because, um, we can have all kinds of reasons. I, and I'm doing air quotes over reasons that Mm -hmm. we won't engage in uh, yes, trying to, yes. you know, and trying to be a part of a God's healing heart in this issue of racial reconciliation. You could have just discounted yourself, Maria, right from the get-go because you were, as you said, middle-aged white woman, what am I doing getting into this thing, right? right. I mean, we can right. say, like, right. who am I? Yeah, I don't yeah, have anything to contribute. That is a lie right. from the pit. Um, and it takes courage to say, no, this this matters to God and so it matters to me. And so I'm right. I'm in it right. with him and he's going to guide me through. And then when you mess up, as you will, because we, yep. we will yeah. we will, you know, fumble this thing um, to receive the grace. You make such a great point in your book about this. Embrace the grace. Um, don't mm-hmm. let the shame yes. keep you out of it and yes. just stay in it. Because so we we see it happening in our world, don't we, where people try to engage. They fumble it up. They get their hands slapped, and then they turn around and get angry at the people that are angry at them. Right. And then right. no no progress is being made. Right. Uh-huh. Right. We retreat to our corners or to yelling on the Internet or something like that. Right. So, so productive, right? Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. the yelling on the Internet. Well, one of the things I love about your book, the way that you have um, broken it up, you're, you're clearly laying out the gospel, which um, mm-hmm. I know you believe mm-hmm. is the absolute key to mm-hmm. our yeah. our unity that's that's how we're going to build it is really understanding the gospel and you so you're sharing the gospel you're sharing mm-hmm. personal stories from your life about how mm-hmm. this has played out in the ministry uh, that you've been a part of for such a long time mm-hmm. and you're staring you're, you're sharing a um, historical perspective as well 
in our country. And I learned so much reading your book Mm -hmm. about race Mm -hmm. in America. This isn't information that's readily uh, available to many of us of our age. We got to do a little work to try to understand. Right. Right. Right, We do. And um, I've always been uh, kind of a nerd. So I enjoyed that studying uh, and that work. I grew up in a house with um, lots of history books. So I've always kind of enjoyed history. But um, the more I started to learn American history, like what I didn't get in school and, um, you know, just, well, you know, we just never cover, we only do the briefest coverage of American history in school. And then um, people of a certain age, we didn't get a lot of very important uh, historical information. So it's not that we're rewriting history or we're trying to, um, you know, uh, have a, a particular political mindset. It's that some of this history was neglected um, mm. or kind of overlooked. And I give some examples of that. Um, and so I really did enjoy going back. And one of my questions was, well, where was the church when some of these terrible things were going on? Um, so, for example, you know, in school, there's, you know, you, we learn about, um, you know, enslavement and, and how that started in America and became so pivotal uh, to our economic success and then, you know, the Civil War. But there are aspects that we never learn. Um, I don't think my curriculum, we ever got to Reconstruction and the failure of Reconstruction after the Civil War and the ramifications of that. Um, Mm. And then even within my lifetime, you know, most of us know a general sketch of, well, there was, you know, there was, uh, you know, desegregation laws and isn't everything all better now? Um, and the answer is no, there's, there's ramifications and, and anti-Asian laws that we had on the books until pretty mm. recently and, and wow. other things. So um, I did enjoy learning the history and how that uh, still resonates today, how that affects us today. Um, mm. And I think that there's a real lack of um, understanding that uh, today and so um, I was wondering, how do I put this in the book? Because originally I thought, well, maybe I'll just have one chapter where I talk about how the church responded to some of the racial tensions in our country right. um, at pivotal points. But it just kept growing and growing and growing. And then I thought, I can't have one mammoth chapter. Um, and not everyone is as excited about history as I am. So I broke it into um, little short segments after each chapter that I call history windows. So we're looking at different um, you know, segments of American history, like, you know, the abolition movement or, um, you know, Native Americans and um, anti-Asian uh, sentiment. And um, so uh, that's that's what I did. I kind of spread it through the whole book. Mm-hmm. It's it's really fascinating. Um, the history windows were very eye-opening <laughs> um, yeah. and, and really a window into where some of the um, the ideas that it seems like they're just so deep seated in our culture yeah, uh, today. Yeah. Maria, what mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. gives you hope to stay in it? Uh, you and Craig uh, pastored um, uh, Faith Christian Fellowship for it was 38 years. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, yes. you guys are long suffering. You are, are in it to win it. And you didn't retire from that and be like, okay, we're going to take it easy. You're, you're still passionate about equipping people 
to um, be church planters, to be a part of building the mm-hmm. multicultural, multi-ethnic mm-hmm. church. What gives you hope to stay in it? What is? What are some of the signs that you've seen mm-hmm. that this is working, the gospel is working? Well, I mean, only Jesus gives me hope, really. The hope of the gospel, and then going back to the scriptures and saying, is this really in this? Yes, it's really in the Bible. Mm. Um, And um, the issues that we were facing in the early 80s are so mainstream now. You know, when we planted a multi-ethnic church, it was like, oh, this is a nice little experiment you guys have going on here, that I I told about that in my first book, A Thousand Resurrections. But um, that our neighborhoods are diverse now, and we are our churches are in general we are not reaching our diverse neighbors, and um, mm-hmm. you know we're struggling to uh, you know reach our 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 areas, and we're struggling to reach young people. So most churches in America are either plateaued or declining, especially if they are not able to reach out to. Um, you know, diverse neighbors. And we're seeing this across the country. We're seeing this locally. And so we are really committed to um, not only starting new churches, but also renewing existing churches and helping them to learn some of the the tools and the skills to reach um, diverse people. And I hope the book uh, can help do that. So that's what we're doing with uh, BALM, Baltimore Antioch Leadership Movement. Yeah. Which Antioch, as you, as you know, I'm sure it's, it, it was the first church where believers were called Christian, Christians, and um, it was a very, very diverse um, city, sort of like Baltimore. Mm. Just just amazing. I, I know you love Baltimore. Um, yes, <laughs> yes. You've come, come to be such an integral, you know, part of the, the community in Baltimore. Can you talk about some of the cultural, you, you call it um, cultural dissonance or, or yes. culture shock? Yes, it's it's so interesting. Um, I grew up in the northern Virginia suburbs, and then when I was 15, I moved to North Carolina and, and then lived briefly in Florida and Charleston. Um, so when I came back to, but when I came to Baltimore, uh, when I got married, it um, it kind of felt right, like socioculturally in a sense, but not the city. Mm. Um, so moving into an urban area was, was very new to me, and there were certain aspects of urban dialect that I could not even understand, um, which I'd also experienced in the South, by the way, with mm. certain Southern dialects that um, were so thick I couldn't decipher, and certain words, of course, that every region has. Um, so in Baltimore, we say, I'm going down the ocean, I'm going to bring my pocketbook. That's right. Um, you know, and um, in Baltimore, people say, what school did you go to? They often don't mean college. They mean, what high school did you go to? And that's kind of a Baltimore thing that, um, you know, that that's because where you went to high school says a lot about you. It kind of puts you in a, people can put you in more of a box, mm-hmm. um, you know. And um, so that's kind of a, a little Baltimore thing. Um, yeah, Baltimore has a very unique I mean, every place has its own culture, and uh, I do love Baltimore. Yes. Um, Maria, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, what your understanding, uh, your definition of racism is? And what would then be the definition of uh, a reconciler? How can we become people who are committed to God's idea of being a reconciler? Yeah, racism, you know, it's such a loaded word, and everyone, there's different ways to um, define it, and different def- even definitions in the dictionary. Um, one has a more, you know, a 
personal definition where racism is when I act in a, a prejudicial way towards someone because I, um, I think less of their um, either their their ethnic background, their um, you know their their race, whatever. Um, and then there's also a larger, um, more systemic manifestation of racism um, where there can be structures. Because I'm a sinner, I'm going to set up a structure that benefits me and and my mm-hmm. you know people that are like me. And that's just what humans do uh, across the globe. Um, so um, racism is. Basically, it's a manifestation of our sin nature. Um, mm-hmm. Some people say that you can't be a racist unless you have power. Um, some definitions say that. But I see racism from a theological perspective as it's just a manifestation of, of, um, of my sin. Um, and um, so the gospel has the power to overcome that. And it's so exciting, and I do cover this in the book, the idea of in the early church— how we see very tangible evidence of the early church struggling with racial and ethnic difference and how the apostles chose to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it can be very messy. It's not easy. I think churches today, they want to reach out to diverse neighbors, and they're saying, gosh, we want to. How do we do this? And they just don't know. So I'm, I think the book is a step in that direction to help people understand more in um, the theology and the obstacles uh, to to reach out and to um, you know truly have a more multi ethnic enjoy a more multi ethnic community um, before we get to heaven we'll right. have it in heaven but let's enjoy it now as it, uh, on yes. earth as it is in heaven um, yes <laughs> Maria that you know. <laughs> This is something that really concerns me in in so many areas of our lives that we are, even as Jesus followers, if if you're a Jesus follower, that we can be so um, affected and influenced and shaped by our culture more so than the gospel. And we don't, we don't even recognize it. Like, so when we look back on the church and some church history and how mm-hmm. the church was complicit, you know, complicit in, in yeah. areas of oppressing people and devaluing people. And we're just like, how, you know, mm-hmm. how did that happen? How in the world right. could people, right. can you give us some insight into that? And, and what does that mean for us today about some of those blind spots where we are being more shaped by our culture than by the gospel? It, it really should make us humble. Because, um, you know, I, we're not better Christians. We're not, we're not better Christians than Christians throughout the centuries. You know, our, our, um, our human nature is the same, you yeah. know, as the human nature of, you know, people who settled, came to America in 16, 1700s, whatever. I mean, um, so we, we should really have some humility and really say, well, how, how is my culture shaping me. There's a ministry that I um, work with that um, called Paracleo that um, comes alongside uh, women in ministry, especially um, pastors' wives, and we always talk about a gospel lens. We want to see things through a gospel lens, through the lens of the gospel. Um, and yet, what affects my gospel lens? And I have to admit, my gospel lens is so shaped by my um, my socioeconomic background, mm-hmm. by my culture, um, my ideas of beauty. 
Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'd like to lose a few pounds because I don't measure up to contemporary, you know, views of beauty. Um, And is that in the Bible? Well, no. Um, You know, issues of, um, you know, wealth, um, are we we, uh, influenced by, you know, the prosperity gospel that says that if you love Jesus, you'll he will automatically bless you with, with wealth. And we don't see that in Jesus. We don't see that certainly in like Job. And um, right. so how does my culture shape me in ways that are, are really not in keeping with the scripture? And mm-hmm. I think we need to be humble about that. Mm, such good words, such good words. Hey, I want to jump in for just a moment and tell you about our wonderful sponsors, J29 Solutions. This amazing company can do so many things to help your business. They're innovators with leading experts in technology and processes that can help you with everything from staffing, data analysis, Medicare claims, health and human services. But the thing that impresses me the most about J29, it's their commitment to their people and their community. This is what drives founder Tracy Mills in her business. It's giving hope to people by giving back to the community. She tithes J29's earnings back to nonprofits that align with her company's values each month. Strengthening the community is a pillar of J29 Solutions. And Tracy Mills is passionate about inspiring her employees to do great things in the world and give back. I just think that is so amazing. And I'm so grateful to have J29 Solutions as our sponsor for Your Day Brighter. Now, Tracy's putting a challenge out there to other businesses to join her and be a part of giving back to your community too. We were created to make a difference. I couldn't agree more. To connect with Tracy, go to j29inc.com. Maria, in all of your years of ministry, can you think of a, a, a moment um, or an example of when you were you were so sure, you know, I understand this. I'm doing well. This is I'm, I'm making progress. And then you kind of had the rug pulled out from under you. Can you can you give us an example of of what that was like? I give an example in the book where, and I can think of how I've done this at different times, where because I've been close friends with someone of a certain racial or ethnic group. Um, you know, that the next, when I see someone of that ethnic group, I feel warm and fuzzy. You know, yeah, we had yeah. uh, in our early years, we lived with a family from Colombia, South America, and um, we're very close with them. And so for years afterwards, when I would see someone, you know, from their, you know, kind of uh, ethnic group or speaking Spanish, I would often feel like, oh, I just want to say hi to them, you know. Right, a familiarity. Yes, yeah. and, and a propensity to think the best of them. Yes. Okay, and, um, and so I've thought that about other ethnic groups. But then sometimes we can experience something traumatic or difficult, and then we can then layer that onto um, our perceptions of uh, other racial or ethnic groups. Um, for example, I, I had a friend who once said, you know, I struggle with um, this particular coworker because she reminds me of a very domineering older woman in my life that really hurt me a lot. And she had the, the insight to say, even though this other woman is of my ethnic group, um, there's something in her that triggers me and I have to be careful with my heart of not attributing things to her. But, mm-hmm. you know, there was a time when... Um, I found myself wondering if a particular person was safe um, um, or, 
did he know, uh, not that I, was I unsafe personally as much as did he know someone, um, because he was an immigrant from a certain community, did he know someone that had hurt someone that I loved? Because the in, immigrant community can be very tight. And it was really a pretty irrational thought that was triggered by a very recent event. Um, mm. And uh, not, and as I thought about it, uh, I, I thought, ooh, wait a minute, you know. That was, you know, that was a leap of judgment there. Wow. And, um, and yet because of our church being so diverse, I could immediately say, you know, that's really a prejudicial thought because look at all these other wonderful people from that country that you know. Um, right. So, but if someone didn't have that exposure to other relationships, then it's much more easy for us to layer something we read in the newspaper or, um, you know, something that happens and layer that onto an entire group of people. Mm, That is so Um, good. That is so good. So with the idea of exposure, you know, having exposure and access to people from other cultures and other different socioeconomic groups, is that responsibility on, on all of us? You know, what if, what if someone is listening and they're like, you know, I just, I'm in an all-white neighborhood or an all-black neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, where I'm only doing life in a monocultural, mm-hmm. monocultural setting. How important is that mm-hmm. exposure to other people if, if you want to be a part of helping to build this bridge to unity? That's such a great question, and um, it, it reminds me of when I was first married, I didn't really know how to cook. I mean, I knew a little bit, um, and so I started researching. I started learning, like, looking at cookbooks and reading recipes and experimenting and trying different things. And sometimes I got it terribly wrong. Mm. Um, but it was a process of learning and growing. And I think um, we, especially um, Caucasian Americans, um, you know, we have, um, it's, we need to really start thinking about this in learning. You know, I think if you're a minority in this country, you've often had to learn to understand the, the greater you know, culture, other cultures just to get along. Um, But I think, you know, for us to start learning, uh, and if you're a believer, start learning what God says about racial and ethnic unity and Mm -hmm. his plan to uh, draw all people to himself and, um, you know, and then start learning maybe a little bit more, um, you know, of the background of this country and why certain issues are still so painful. And, um, and, and then, um, you know, we take steps of faith. And I, I have a few ideas in the Bible study in the book of, you know, can you begin to uh, take steps to uh, develop your cultural awareness and, and have different experiences and, and um, ask someone else their story to tell you about their, their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we should expect someone else to you know, um, to tutor us in all things relating to other cultures, because that's a big burden to place on, um, you know, a person of color. You know, sure. would you would you correct all my ignorance for me? Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a really big task for, for speaking for myself. Um, so, you know, we take baby steps of faith and, um, you know, begin learning and following Jesus in, in that way. Mm. Is this going to happen one person at a time, one relationship at a time. Yes, yes, yes. I've wondered about yep. that. I wonder, because it seems like whenever we try to do things in, you know, massive groups, that things get lost in translation and that it, it's really 
you know, people coming alive to the gospel and being on their own journey pursuing Christ with their whole heart that's going to help um, open up their Mm -hmm. hearts to different Mm -hmm. people. How can I be a safe person for a person of color to share their story and um, to build relationship with? Can you give me some thoughts about that? Well, I think... I think you are for sure. Oh, I hope so. Uh, you know, you're 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 gracious and <laughs> humble and and curious, and those are really mm. and and you know, uh, gospel centered, and those are just key qualities for any relationship, and uh, especially in relationships where people have been hurt, and so they're going to be a little wary mm-hmm. of of you or of me, um, and understandably so. Um, and so I think, you know, being curious, being welcoming, being hospitable, I have a whole chapter in the book on hospitality, um, because I think that's a lost art in our culture, and I yes. think, um, you know, it's, it, it has played a key role in the life of the Church through millennia, and it's something we could rediscover. Um, so just to reach out to... Um, to people and maybe have them over to your house. There's so many international students that come to the U.S. to study that are that never uh, are invited into an American home, wow. um, and and that is really tragic. Mm. Um, um, that hurts my and, heart. It's you know, yeah, it does. <laughs> yes, yes. As uh, young church planners, you you went right for the opening up your home and for cooking. You did a lot of that, right? I've done I've done a lot of cooking over the years. Yes, I'm not a gourmet. <laughs> But I, I joke that I can cook. I can cook lots of grub for lots of people. Um, but um, uh, but it, it you know it is lovely to have people in your home. And I think I think also in this discussion, I don't want anybody to feel like guilt. Like oh, you know, Maria, Gary, and Tracy Tiernan say I have to like start opening my home and cooking for massive amounts of people and <laughs> reading this book. And um, you know, we we. We all have limited time and energy, and sure. so what, what is God calling me to do? How can I obey Him in this? And, mm-hmm. like, frankly, for me, just to finish this book, there were so many wonderful things that I wanted to say yes to that I had to say no to, and I'm growing in my ability to do that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that the sense of, like, you know, what has God called me to do? The need is not to call. He's called me to be faithful, but what's the particular context and gifts that he has given me, um, and, you know, the setting that he's placed me in that I can be faithful in today. And, and that is, you know, something each of us has to struggle through on our own. I, boy, that's, that's so good. That's so good. It's, yes, uh, what has he called me to? Um, right. And just being faithful to him, and he's going to lead you and guide you. Um, Maria, I feel like you're such a, um, a safe person, that I had so much respect for you as um, as a theologian, an academic, a follower of Jesus, a sister, a bridge builder. I was amazed that in your book, you even address CRT, which is like one of those, you know, one of those hot button issues. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to talk about that because I'm never going to get it right. Just when uh, I think I understand, right. I'm like, oh, I don't understand, <laughs> you know, Um and I'm not trying to like set you up to mm-hmm, go into a, mm-hmm. an area where people are going to just mm-hmm. immediately don't don't touch the dial. You're listening to a great conversation yeah. here, you know? know, but how can people at least engage with 
this yeah. topic that is such a hot button right now. Well, and thank you for your kind words. Um, and, you know, as I was working on the book, and of course CRT was heating up critical race theory as this um, hot button issue, I thought, oh, I really don't want to have to address that because, you know, that's complicated. And then as time went on, it was like, I really have to address this, don't I? And then, oh, yes, I do. So I, you know, I have just a brief treatment of it because it's not a book on CRT. It's, right. But what I do at one point, I have a little chart, a little table where I break down, these are some of the elements of CRT, which is a complicated idea. And this is how this lines up with biblical principles. So, um, you know, sometimes I think there's something in the book to offend everyone, um, <laughs> you know, because, for example, I... Um, I, at one point in the book, I talk about God being pro-life, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that that is a scriptural principle that, yes. that um, you know, and, and some of my friends from, you know, um, other perspectives, uh, would, you know, uh, other aspects of the political spectrum would, would maybe struggle with some of that. But, um, you know, so with CRT, I tried to break it down into individual segments and say, how does this line up with scriptural truth? And so then... I, you know, so I did that because it is complicated, um, and we need to be able, though, to enter into this discussion because, uh, in in a knowledgeable way, mm-hmm. because this is what is going, this is what is being talked about in the world, and it doesn't do anybody um, any favors to just be shouting at one another across the internet, right. and or at school board meetings or whatever. And um, mm. how do we, you know, our culture is increasingly, we're isolated, we're, um, we're segmenting ourselves, um, you know, every day people are becoming more hostile to the Christian faith, um, and more divided and more lonely and more partisan. This is what's happening all around us. So how can we as Christians show the love of Christ in what we say and what we do while still holding on to biblical truth? Um, mm. And, you know, there are ways in which that is a challenge, but, you know, Jesus was um, Jesus was very direct with sins, like with the Pharisees. I mm-hmm. mean, he came out very hard on the religious professionals. Yes. Um, um, but he was also very gentle with sinners and, um, you know, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Right. Um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge and it's worth it. And and come let us reason together. We don't check our brains yes. at the door. We, with courage and humility, mm-hmm. hang in there, yes. friends, hang in there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, gosh, thank please. Um, so, Maria, let's, let's uh, try to sum up what I know is a, a very deep, work. Um, I, I think your book is amazing and I'm, I'm, I'm just digging in here and I'm, I'm hoping to uh, get some friends to do the study with me together. It's called Stronger Together, A Gospel Lens on Unity um, by Maria Garriott. And, you know, unity is God's idea. It's his heart. It's Jesus's longest prayer recorded in the gospel of John, John 17. And mm-hmm. um, so Maria, mm-hmm. talk, talk to people yeah. who were just weary right now and they're like, I have more work to do. Can you can you give us a little a little pet talk from your heart um, to to hang in there? One of the points that I I threw into one of the places in my book that probably could be an entire book is that this idea that our capacity for ministry uh, depends on our capacity for suffering. Like 
um, obviously, you know, God is shaping us through what we experience. And so we will go through challenging and painful experiences um, just by being human. And as we engage with other people, other people are going to hurt us and I'm going to hurt other, you know, we're going to hurt other people. Um, and that's part of being human. Um, and yet we can keep going back to the safe place, which is our savior, which is Jesus, our shepherd, the good shepherd, you know, that, um, he knows his sheep. He knows us by name. He protects us in the sheepfold. Um, Mm. and, and that is the only thing that gives us strength for the battle. I don't see how anyone can engage in ministry or, you know, work of reconciliation without a belief in Jesus and, you know, the God of the Scriptures and going back to Jesus for strength. Um, I don't have it. I don't have the patience. I don't have the, you know, um, yeah, I, it's, it's mm. you know, we need Jesus to keep filling us over and over. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. And you've seen the beauty that's come from this work. Yeah. And I, I kind of talk about that a little bit in the back. And I think in some of my writing, I've been guilty with talking about how hard it is um, rather than the, the beauty. Um, but it really is a beautiful and amazing thing. And it is a testimony to the world. Um, you know, Jesus said that people would know that we were his disciples by our love for one another, you know, that this is and that this is uh, a love that the world sits up and takes notice. Like, why are all these different people hanging out together? Or, right. or um, you know, this is this is kind of unusual. Um, and and the the world is not listening to our theology. They are watching our practice. Oof. So um, you know, we need to be demonstrating the gospel in what we say and do. Um, and, um, you know, trying to, trying to obey Jesus in that way. And it is a challenge, but, but the, you know, the richness, it's like if I invited you over for dinner and I said, um, yeah, for dinner tonight, um, we're going to have, we're going to have white rice and for dessert, we're going to have white rice. And I mean, I love white rice, you know, but it's like, no, we're not going to have salt or butter or anything. We're just going to have some white rice because it's just, it's just so good. Right. Um, you know, that we, we love the blend of flavors and textures and colors. And, you know, um, God has made us, Jesus says he came to bring life abundantly. And we can experience, I think, more of that abundant life as we learn from one another. And we, it is a learning perspective. People outside my culture help show me the, the ways that I have bought into my culture. You know, that I need to really think through, um, you know, and that's, you know, that's, that can be challenging self-reflection. Um, we have to be willing to do. So. Mm, challenging self-reflection and be willing to do it and just know that there is so much beauty that's going to come from it. Um, being a part of a multicultural church for many years now, I, I, I can't yeah. imagine my life right. w- without the, the richness and the benefit yeah. of yeah. of the beautiful friends that God has brought into my life and what I've learned from them. And I, I shake as I say this to you because I think it's just been God's grace that I've been exposed to it. Um, yeah. For people that yeah. have not been, um, I, I hope that your your work and your book will inspire them to have that desire um, to want to wanna seek it out and to, you know, to have some relationships with people who are different and to listen to one another's stories and... Um, let's 
let's see the Lord um, do a great work, you know, in the land of the living. Let's let's watch him do it. <laughs> it's his work. Yeah, it's his work. Yeah. Maria, it I'm is. so grateful to you. Thank you for your time and your very important work in this world. You are such a role model to me. And um, I just I'm cheering you on. So thank you. Well, thank you. And and you to me, I um, have always loved listening to you. And, and uh, you, you just do such an amazing job. So I'm very Thank thankful you. for you and Thank all that you. all that you're doing. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation and you feel just ready, ready for God to do a great work in you, through you, and for you. Thanks so much for listening to Your Day Brighter, the podcast, and a special thank you again to my wonderful guest, Maria Garriott. Her book is called Stronger Together, A Gospel Lens on Unity. It does have a Bible study included. There's so much history. There's so much understanding and insight into the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it really is the answer to the problem of racism and division in our country. If you want to get involved in this thing, you got to get this book. It's a great tool, a great resource for you. I'm so honored that we get to share this time together and grateful for you to be listening to this podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Would you do me a favor? Would you share it with somebody that needs to hear it? Spread it around. And if you're able to, leave a review. That really makes a difference for us. That helps other people to find the podcast. Your Day Brighter is produced by Trey Casey Tiernan, that's me, and my friend John Lawhon for Brighter Media Group. Special thanks to our awesome team, Todd Gaddy, Aaron Branham, Julie Gilligan, Caroline Burke, and Hannah Baldwin. You guys are absolutely the best. Thanks again for listening. And remember, tell somebody your story today, or better yet, ask to hear theirs.